Hey friends, before we get into the podcast today, just a couple of quick announcements about some things that I'm doing that I'm very excited about. The first thing is I'm going to be in Providence, Rhode Island this weekend. On Sunday, May 15th, I'll be preaching at Sanctuary Church. And then on Sunday night, I'll be doing a, an event based on my book, Beginnings. It's going to be, a, it'd be about creativity, about how to keep creating and how to keep finding new beginnings every day, even when things feel really, really messed up in your life. So check out my show notes for a link to that event. It's, again, Sanctuary Church in Providence, Rhode Island. The second event is something that I just couldn't be more excited about either. Uh, you'll remember that Seth Haynes, author of Coming Clean, I had him on the podcast a few weeks ago, and we had such a generous and expansive conversation about sobriety and addiction. And it started a friendship between the two of us, and we started talking, uh, because the response was so strong, we started talking about the possibility of bringing that into a live event where you and I and a bunch of other people could interact with Seth and his story uh, that he writes about in Coming Clean, that we all would talk about sobriety, we would talk about addiction, we would talk about spirituality and grace. And our hope was is that we would just gather with a bunch of people who are really interested in pursuing wholeness. So we're doing it. Saturday, June 25th in St. Paul, Minnesota, Seth and I, along with Matt Moberg, brilliant musician, are going to talk for the whole day. So you can find tickets uh, on my website, steveweens.com slash events, and that'll, that link will be in my show notes as well. I hope you can make it to that. Uh, we have all kinds of information about uh, hotels to stay at if you're coming from out of town. And if you're here in the Twin Cities, it's at Awaken Community this beautiful old Catholic church, former Catholic church in St. Paul. So uh, that is that. Please get in touch with me. Steve at steveweens.com is my email. If you have any questions about that, I would love, love, love to see you there. Okay, let's dive into the podcast, everybody. We are dust and breath. We are Welcome to This Good Word, where every week we look at one single word in an endless discovery of reclaiming what's holy about our humanity. My name is Steve Weens. I'm a pastor, I'm a writer, and I'm a father of three crazy boys. My hope with this podcast is to create an environment where you can continually discover who you actually are in the world. So feel free to check out my website at steveweens.com, S-T-E-V-E-W-I-E-N-S.com, where you can find links to my blog, to purchase my book, which is called Beginnings, The First Seven Days of the Rest of Your Life, and also links to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Enjoy the podcast, everybody. Episode 40, the word this week 
is sweat. So today I want to talk about work. Uh, I want to talk about work that's fulfilling and work that is life-sucking. You know, we spend about a third of our adult lives working and many of us feel like it's killing us. So is work a slavery or is it a privilege? And like, how do you know if you're supposed to stick it out at a certain job that is hard or if it's time to quit and start over? How do you know that? I want to validate the complexity of work and I want to tell an ancient story of when work was first described as sweat. And I'd like to talk about all the ways that work can be redeemed. So work that's fulfilling and work that is toil and even the necessity of work that is toil. And so here's the deal. If you are working in a job that's fulfilling, then I think you're one of the blessed people. You're one of the lucky few, honestly. And I think there's lots and lots of messages that go out there that say you can be whatever you want to be. And if you just follow your passion, the money will follow. And to be quite honest, I, I, I know I'm going to make some enemies here and I'm probably going to get some emails, but I just don't know if that's universally true for everybody. I think there is some privilege involved in that statement. There are some people, like honestly, like me, I I woke up, I was born on third base, so to speak, as a white male in a middle-class family. I was always told I could be whatever I wanted to be. I I never even it never even occurred to me that I might not go to college. I didn't worry about how I would pay for college. My family wasn't really I mean we were middle class but I never you know it it was my dad went to college my mom went to college it never occurred to me that I couldn't pick the work that I wanted to do but I I honestly and I we, we have to say this out loud that that is just not the reality for most of the world and so I get a little nervous when we talk about you know, just do what you love and the money will follow because you have to ask the question, does that play everywhere? Like, does that play in uh, the poor sections of your city? Does that play with immigrants? Uh, Does that play uh, across, you know, the world? Uh, And and my my guess is most people might look at you like you are crazy. But I do believe that there's meaningful and fulfilling vocation for everybody. I just don't think you're always going to get paid for it. I happen to be in a job that I really, really love. Uh, I'm a writer. I'm a pastor. I get to preach. I get to lead visionary stuff. I get to write books and blogs and do this podcast and create events like the one I just talked about. Seth Haynes and I just I just my job feels so fulfilling to me Uh, I feel like I'm helping people it stimulates my brain it's really really hard at times there's conflict with people there's lots and lots of need uh, from people in my line of work but I really feel like it's connected to my passion which is uh, to create environments where people discover those things that are deep inside of them that got embedded in there and so they need to come out.
And I just so happened to get paid to do that work. And I did follow my passion and there was a whole lot of work uh, on the road to that. And it has not always been easy. It's been very, very hard many, many times, but I have a fulfilling job. Uh, I have another friend, one of my closest friends, his name is Stefan and he leads a mentoring organization. He started this mentoring organization here in Minneapolis about three years ago and what he what what they do is they go into schools and they typically go into schools that are um, have um, students that uh, are low poverty level and many students who have um, only one parent living at their homes and some students even who are homeless and they find mentors for these students and uh, it's just beautiful most of these mentors are college kids that go to like Votech colleges and community colleges. And some of the stories that I hear about this uh, program is just beautiful. I'm gonna put a link on my show notes. It's called One to One here in Minneapolis. And as I sit with Stefan and some of the others that I know that work there, it's, it's an absolutely amazing thing that they're doing. And it's very fulfilling. But it's also very difficult. I, you know, when you when you start a nonprofit, uh, man, the money, the budget is up to you. If you raise it, then great, you get to turn on the lights again for another day. If you don't raise that money, if your the grants that you write for don't come through, then you're shutting down. And so it's really, really hard. And so I think when it comes to f- fulfilling jobs, I want to say a few things. Uh, number one, they are fulfilling, and those of us who have them are lucky to have them. But also, um, you know, the, the work that we do that really stimulates the brain and feels really, really fulfilling is probably, you know, somewhere around 30% of, of our actual job. And another 70% is doing some of those things that you just don't love doing. I remember um, I, have, I have a friend that used to be a pastor. His name is Kurt. And he would say, you know, people would just look at him, these people that were younger than him and say, oh man, I, you know, I would love to shadow you. Uh, I'd love to do what you do, basically kind of saying you're so lucky that you get to do this. And he would just, he, Kurt was kind of a feisty guy. And so he would say, okay, um, you want to shadow me today? Because you know what you know what I'm doing today? I'm cleaning out the storage closet today at church. That's what I'm doing today. It's probably going to take about eight hours. I have to clean it. I have to organize it. I have to uh, label it. and then And that's what I'm doing today. So if you want to shadow me, go ahead and do that. And, um, you know, so it's like, it, it, for me, um, emails, I hate emails, a lot of meetings. I'm, I'm not a great meeting guy. I'm learning how to be better by translating meetings in, in, into ways that I can help people and that I can help people see what their, what their God-given seeds of life are. And that's, that's how I make it through a meeting. Uh, I don't particularly love details. In fact, the people that work with me, I'm talking to you, Katie, and Kristen, and Steve, and Mel, and Larissa. I mean, you guys know, like, when it comes to details, um, it's just such a good thing. Other people are detailed people because I am I am just not. But, but, I mean, I have to get better at that. And so fulfilling work is really, really good. But most of us don't get to do it. And even the filling work that we do get to do, there's lots and lots of parts of it that are mind numbing and that you wanna just jab a fork in your eye. So that's fulfilling work and I think we're lucky to have it. But what about the work that feels more like toil? Like maybe you're getting treated poorly in your job. Maybe it's 
just mind-numbingly boring. And the bottom line for the company that you're working for is a bottom line that you could not care less about. I mean, it just doesn't matter to you. Um, maybe you're working in a job that's really, really hard. It's backbreaking. And you're just exhausted by the end of the day. I remember I had a summer job like that. It was painting houses. It was out in the heat every day. Uh, we were scraping. We were painting. We were moving ladders and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't necessarily backbreaking, but it was super hot and it was hard. And I remember at the end of those days of work, I was just wiped out. Uh, and you know, I, I think work that is toil, and and maybe you're maybe you're doing this. Um, maybe you're in a job like this. It's disconnected from your passion, and it's probably fraught with conflict. Like if you're in a job where there's constant tension and conflict, uh, that's going to be that's that work is going to feel like toil. And um, so, I mean, there's this there's this fascinating story, and it's really uh, everyone knows it. It's Genesis three. It's right after. Uh, the man and the woman sin and whatever you want to call that if you uh, if you have a hard time believing that's an actual you know apple and an actual snake or even two actual human beings I want to just ask you to suspend some of those things don't don't lose the bigger picture because I think the bigger picture is that we see that a man and a woman with God um, live in this beautiful state of trust and then they're led to not trust someone who was previously totally trustworthy. And that's when they fall into uh, shame and doubt and vulnerability in the bad sense. And then um, it's just, it's so interesting. We read this in Genesis three seventeen, and this is funky. You're gonna, I'm, I'm, I get a little mad about this first sentence because you have listened to the voice of your wife uh, God says, and oh, I just, I just hate that because Adam was right there next to Eve. It's like it's not all Eve's fault, but there you have it. Sometimes you read things in the Bible that totally make you mad, and there it is. Like you can't explain it away. You can't say, well, it doesn't really mean that. You just have to sit there and be mad at that, which I can do. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, you are dust. To dust you shall return. So it's this, and, and, and that's a part of, in theology, we call that the curse. Uh, because the man or the woman didn't trust God, there, there is this curse. And and I don't want to get too lost in the commentary here, but basically the universe is set up by God with absolute and utter choice. Because God is love, God will never force any human being to do anything. And so God set up the universe in such a way that if you choose to trust something that isn't God, then you're going to play by those rules. And that doesn't even make you a bad person. It just means that there's lots of different kinds of energies in the world. And the energy that is love, that is God, that is full of trust, there is an ease to that. There is a risk to that. It's scary because you, you never know maybe when your next meal is going to come from. Um, but it, 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 it starts in trust and it reaps trust. But 
the energy that Adam and Eve sink their teeth into is an energy that uh, that says that there's never enough and you're being held out on. And that was the lie that they believed from the serpent. The serpent basically said, you know, did God really say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And and then the woman said, no, we can eat out of the fruit of all the trees in the garden. But God said, just don't eat the one that's in the middle of the garden. If you touch it, you'll die. And then the serpent said, you're not going to die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll look like God, knowing good and evil. And so what happens is they they touch the fruit. And again, if it's metaphorical, if you believe that's metaphorical, go there. I don't think you'd lose anything by that. Um, they, they sink their teeth into the apple and they don't die. That's what's so interesting. Like God says, if you do that, you'll surely die. But the minute they do it, they don't physically die but something does die and what dies is this state of vulnerable naked and unashamed trust with God where they were doing real work in the world if you go back to Genesis 2 they were naming animals they were they were assigned to give authority over all the animals and to plant I mean they were doing real work um they, they were going to plant crops. They were going to live off the land. It was going to be this beautiful picture of work based on trust. And God would bring the rain and God would bring the sun and God would bring the plants and all this kind of stuff. And they would cultivate it. But what died is that, that and it was their choice, what, what died is their ability to just live in naked and unashamed trust. And so because of that, what boomeranged back to them, they chose the energy that they chose. And so, and God says, you can play that. I will never force you not to play the game that you choose to play. Then cursed is the ground because of you. And toil, you're going to eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles that shall bring forth to you. So God basically says that your work will be toil. There will be problems. You'll be treated poorly. It'll be backbreaking. You'll be disconnected from your passion. And at the end of the day, you will die. And there's this sense in which it's like that's so intense. But there's also a way in which when we look at work and we're tapping into the energy of scarcity, like there's never enough and there's always a better job around the corner. You know, uh, did did God really say you can't eat of the fruit? Um, I think some of us buy into this lie that there's only one good possible job that we're going to feel fulfill that and there's only one way of understanding work and when we start playing the scarcity game when we start acting as if um, there's only one kind of work that'll be fulfilling and when we start demanding that our work the thing that brings uh, a paycheck when we start demanding that that not only bring the paycheck but also be totally soul fulfilling I think we buy into a kind of energy that actually isn't helpful at all. So that's the story of Adam and Eve. And I talked a little bit about fulfilling work and a little bit about work that is toil. Now I want to get into some questions like, how do you know when it's time to go? And how do you know when you have to stick around and stay? So... Oh my goodness. I think the first way that I would answer that question is it depends on every situation 
and on every individual. I would say right away, if you're getting abused at your work, I mean like if, if, if you're feeling like uh, your uh, personhood is being constantly demeaned, that you are being put down and put in your place and made fun of even, then I think that there's some automatics to that, that you need to find a different job. I mean, I don't think it takes that much discernment to figure out if that level of, if you're being abused, then go you, you, as soon as you can. As soon as it's responsible to leave, you need to go. But I remember a time where I was working at a, a church. This was back about 13 years ago, and it was a really good church, man. Super great people there. But I just wasn't, I wasn't flourishing. And for a number of reasons that I can't even explain and can't even understand, I just, uh, the culture there just didn't fit my culture. And it was a good culture. Honestly, it really was. There were some great people that came out of that church. But it wasn't the kind of culture that I was going to flourish in. And I also think there were some things that was that, that, that were happening in my life during that time, some lessons I needed to learn, honestly, about humility and about um, what my place in the world uh, really is. I think, I think there was some honest uh, ego um, shrinking that, that I needed to go through. But it was a really difficult time. And I remember talking endlessly to my wife, Mary, about it and she noticed that um, more and more just my soul was shrinking and there were some reasons to stay I mean I'd only been there a year and if I would have stuck it out might it have gotten better totally was it an evil place not at all was I being abused nope not any way shape or form but as I began to talk to people I, I so this, this is my second answer um, that, that, that you need to talk to people that you can trust that is going to give you wisdom. They're not going to give you the answer. They're not going to tell you what to do, but they're going to equip you with questions that will help you discern it. So one question that I got is, Steve, what is your heart saying? Your heart doesn't get to have the whole answer, but what is your heart saying? And I knew immediately, it was like, I want to leave. I want to get a different job. And this person said, you know what? I think it's really important to listen to that. Don't let it trump everything else. But I think you have such a clear and compelling answer to that, that you, you, you have to give that some serious weight. And, um, and I took time to do this. It wasn't uh, uh, a quick decision, but I ended up deciding to leave. So if you're in that situation where you can't tell and you're not getting abused, um, what's happening to your soul? Uh, what does your heart say? Um, what would you rather be doing? I, I got to tell you, I'm not a huge fan of just like quitting without knowing what you're going to do. Sometimes that's the right move. But like start dipping your toe in the water. What else might you do? Who else might you talk to that might give you some opportunities to think bigger? There's a lot more we could say about that, but I think at the end of the day, it's surrounding yourself with wise people. It's not making a super quick decision. It's listening to your heart. It's allowing yourself to uh, explore some different options before you quit. 
And it's also, I think it'd be a really smart thing to do. If you're in that situation, I would say take five minutes at the end of every day and just say, uh, what was the best thing that happened to me at work today? And what was the worst thing that happened to me at work today? Just answer two questions, same two questions. Or when did I feel most alive at work today? Or when did I feel most drained at work today? And then after 30 days, you're going to see some real patterns. All right, so um, I want to ask some other questions. I posted this on Facebook today, and a few people chimed in with some questions and responses, and they were really, really good and really cool. And so um, one of them was from uh, Stephanie, and I know Steph. She's my friend. She said, I'd love to hear more conversation about the privilege that can uh, often be involved in our answer to vocational questions. So what does it mean to find our sense of vocational calling both within and outside of being paid for that work? And how do we approach a job we don't love in a healthy way? And how do we know in that context when something difficult crosses over into becoming a slavery we need to leave? So I covered some of those things uh, in my response that I just gave. But I want to talk a little bit more about discovering your vocational calling and not demanding that that be the same thing that gives you a paycheck. So um, I have a friend that loves to fish. And I'm telling you, he would fish every day, all day if he could. But uh, but he also, like there's for him, there's no real way to make a living with that. And so but he has a boat and he has all of his gear and he has some friends that he fishes with and he fishes as often as he can and he absolutely loves it and it's a beautiful thing to see so i think um and there are other people that love to listen to people and they say you know some people say oh my gosh i you know maybe i need to go back to school and and become a counselor and maybe you do but maybe you just need to set up appointments with people and listen really well maybe that's your vocation is listening. I mean, that is an amazing thing. Um, in this world of like podcasting and blogging and stuff, you, you may have a vocation of speaking and like collecting information and sharing that information with interesting ways with people. Like you could do a podcast. I mean, just start it. Why wouldn't you do that? Uh, buy a microphone, do a little research about how to what servers to set it up with. Pick some topics that you want to talk about and pick a, a name for your podcast and then just say, you know, I'm going to do 20 podcasts and, and no matter who listens, I'm going to do it. And that could be a very fulfilling sense of vocation. But just don't like don't demand that that be the thing that you get a paycheck for. I love what Elizabeth Gilbert says this about in her book, Big Magic. It's really hard to like hard to believe that Elizabeth Gilbert was at one time sort of a starving writer that was a server in a restaurant. But but what she would do is she would work, 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 work like crazy and save up money and just eat nothing. And then she would go travel and she would write. And she said she made a vow with her writing. She said before she made $1 on writing and well before she became the famous person, the famous writer that she is now, she made a vow and she said, I will never demand that you... Uh, support me work like writing I will not demand that you support me in fact I will I will promise to always support you we support our vocation our vocation doesn't support us and I think that's such a wise thing again some of us have the tremendous privilege 
of being able to get paid by working the thing that we love. But but most of the world really, really doesn't. So uh, thanks, Steph, for that great question. Uh, and Rebecca chimes in right to Steph's question. Yes, vocation, work, passion. Perhaps more often than desired, these end up needing to be in different categories in a person's life based on some practicality and necessity. And perhaps that takes some pressure off for that ideal job that's going to blend them all and pay the mortgage. Rebecca, I could not agree with you more. We need to take, again, I'm, I'm, I'm repeating myself over and over, but take the pressure off your vocation, the thing that you love doing, from paying the mortgage because very often that's just not going to be the case. Uh, my friend Amber, she writes this, can the work of writing actually be as simple, free as being who I truly am and chasing down the fun of it? Can it include hard work without feeling like a burden? Should it? Is that even a real thing? Amber, what a great, what a great question. I am new to the writing world. People that have written more books than I have should answer this question. But I would say, gosh, I'm not sure. I mean, I, you know, like I've said uh, in previous podcasts, I'm working on my second book right now, and I really love it. I mean, the work that I'm doing on this book and the content that I'm, that I'm writing, I really believe into my toes. It's so rich and good. But I'm finding it so, it's really, really hard work. I wouldn't call it simple and free. I wouldn't call it just being truly who I am and chasing the fun of it. I would say there's just a lot of hard work in paying attention to the voice of the spirit um, that I believe is directing my work. You may call that the voice of creativity. You may call that your muse. Whatever you call that, I think there is something that that is out there that that keeps wanting to be written and sometimes it flows easy but many times it's just brutally hard work so yes i think it, it can include hard work that does sometimes feel like a burden um, at the end of the day though the question for me is like if someone gave you the, the opportunity to say hey you know what you're never going to make really any money by writing and so i'm going to give you an out you just you can get out of your contract you don't have to write another page um if relief flows into your heart right there then that's okay maybe you're not a writer you know for me that would freak me out because even if i didn't ever make much of a name for myself or much money at all which I, i'm not assuming i will be uh, I will ever, um, but I would keep writing because there's something in me that just needs to keep going. Uh, so keep writing and keep doing it. Uh, so gang, I could go on and on about this. Uh, is work a slavery or is it a necessity? I think it sometimes is a little bit of both. There's something about work, no matter what it is, that if that can be good. I think about Brother Lawrence practicing the presence of God. This guy was a monk who washed dishes all day and worked in the garden. And, it, you know, some people might call that mind-numbing work. And I don't know that, like, doing the dishes was his ultimate passion. But he found a purpose in it because he really connected with God. And, um, you know, so here are my last four things on parenting. Super, not parenting, on work, super quick. 
uh, it's never 100% awesome. You know, I think at best it's about 40%. And just, that's just it, man. I, you know, I, again, that, that's what I would say is my job. I love my job. But there's just a whole lot of it that I wish I didn't have to do. But that's just, it's all part of the package. And, you know, sometimes you stay. Sometimes you stay, when, even when it's hard. And some of you, I, I don't know, like sometimes, like I'm going to ask you a question. And, and the question is like, do you feel in your bones that you just still might have something to learn here? And if you have an immediate, oh, yes, then it might be, you, you might need to stay a little bit longer. You might need to stay a little bit longer. But sometimes it's time to go, and I think we've talked about that. So that's number three. So number one, it's never 100% awesome. Number two, sometimes you stay. Number three, sometimes you go. And number four, always pursue what you love. Always pursue what you're passionate about. Always pursue what fires you up and gets you out of bed in the morning. But just don't demand that that pay the bills. But do it, follow it, go for it. Uh, fish, podcast, write a blog, write a book, uh, play some music, crochet, knit, garden, uh, play baseball, I play the violin, groom animals. I don't know what it is for you, but pursue what you're passionate about. Just don't demand that it fill you up okay everybody i think that's all for today uh and i want to remind you just check my show notes about um sobriety and spirit my event in on june 25th with seth haynes you can find all the information at steveweens.com events you can also just go to my show notes and click on the link and you will find what you need uh, also, again, if you're near Providence, Rhode Island this weekend, I'd love to see you at Sanctuary Church on Sunday morning or Sunday night. Just go to sanctuaryri.org and you can find out everything you need to know about how to get there and what to do. It's a really cool, cool place and I'm looking forward to being there. All right, gang. Uh, ooh, um, we are dust and we are breath. We are limited and we are limitless. We are human and we are holy. And we, my friends, are in it together. So grateful for all you listeners. Thanks so much for taking the time every week to listen. And I'd love to hear from you. Steve at steveweens.com. And uh, let me know where you're coming from and, uh, and why you're listening. Okay. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.